This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3243 for Wednesday the 6th of January 2021. Today's show is entitled, Picture Free and Open Radio Astronomy. It is hosted by Andrew Conway, and is about 48 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, discussion with the people that created the Picture Radio Telescope. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Welcome to another episode of Hacker Public Radio um, with me, McNallu, also known as Andrew. And I'm sort of on my home turf talking about astronomy uh, today, um, but I'm not the one that's going to be saying the interesting things, not that I maybe ever do. Uh, I'm actually joined by two guests who run a very interesting and novel radio telescope projects. So would you like to each like to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure. So my name is Apostolos. Uh, I am uh, studying computer science at the University of Piraeus in Greece. Um, uh, me and Vasilis actually work on uh, several RF and uh, radio astron- and astronomy projects. Um, one of them is uh, pic- the Picture Radio Telescope, which we will uh, discuss uh, mostly today. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, the, the, the listeners uh, enjoy our conversation, our chat. So my name uh, is Vasilis. Uh, I'm Apostolos' brother. Uh, I'm a graduate student of European interna- and International uh, Studies in University of Piraeus, and now I'm a postgraduate student in Technical University of Athens in Environment uh, and Development. Uh, as Apostolos uh, told you, we are uh, running Picture, and uh, I hope you have uh, a great podcast. Great. Thank you very much, guys. So uh, we should say how we met, in that uh, we were both at FOSDEM earlier this year, um, mm-hmm. And you just came up to the HBR table. Somehow were introduced to me, uh, and you told me about your Pictor telescope. And um, you know that's 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 how we got to this episode. So before we go any further, um, can you just explain to people who maybe are not that familiar with astronomy or even radio telescopes what your uh, you know what a radio telescope does? Yeah, sure. So uh, a radio telescope is basically like an optical telescope, but uh, it's actually, instead of observing in uh, visible wavelengths, it's actually uh, built for detecting radio signals. So uh, one thing uh, many people are not aware of is that uh, objects in space do not only emit visible wavelengths, but there are many objects that uh, emit uh, radio waves. So... um, like uh, neutral hydrogen, for example, uh, several atomic and molecular spectral lines, um, uh, masers, uh, pulsars, radio galaxies, quasars. I mean, there's uh, a whole variety of objects that uh, emit radio waves. Uh, and so a radio telescope is basically an instrument uh, 
used to detect such objects. So um, it's basically opening up a window to the invisible universe in a way. Yeah, that's a, that's a great that's a great little description. You mentioned masers there. That's actually something that I worked on, and it really surprising if you people don't know masers um, is like a, a naturally occurring microwave version of a laser but we get them in our own star the sun um, so it's yes yeah, it's, it's, I haven't heard that word for a while really interesting <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's interesting yeah so um, now your telescope the pictorial radio telescope it's special because as I understand it it's open source um, uh, right. So could you see how you how it came about and how you decided to make it an open source project, both in software and hardware, I understand? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, uh, we wanted to build a radio telescope uh, at the beginning, like uh, for, uh, for personal use. Um, but then we decided, you know, why not? Um, we've built the telescope. Uh, we've invested a lot of time into it, both in terms of hardware and software. So um, why not put it online for everyone to use it for free? Uh, so one part of this, because it's uh, basically in the same philosophy, is uh, to, put it, to put it up open source. Um, now every, every project we work on uh, in, in radio astronomy is uh, like everything we do is open source. On, uh, so you can find everything on GitHub. Uh, and the good thing about this is that, uh, that many people have actually came to the project, um, copied the source code and uh, worked on their own projects. Uh, some of them uh, either used it for uh, digital signal processing, uh, for data analysis, um, and some just even applied their, the, the, the whole code to their, uh, to their telescopes. So, um, so that's that's pretty good. Um, that, that's pretty cool. So, and and also we have the co contributors. So you check our GitHub, you'll see some uh, some pull requests and contributions. So um, it's definitely like uh, a win-win situation in a way. At every point, uh, an open source standard, the information can spread around uh, to people very easily and can definitely help you back at some point. Uh, so that's why we release uh, everything uh, uh, at GitHub. Excellent. And so, and what uh, what language are you coding in? Uh, so we mainly use Python. Um, so so Pictor is basically based on Python. For the um, for for the web server, we use uh, PHP. So uh, a user sends a request. Uh, it gets passed to uh, like via PHP to a page that uh, the Raspberry Pi computer on the telescope can access via Python and uh, basically fits the observation parameter. So it just runs the observation uh, from there and sends the the, um, the data to the user via email. And uh, it doesn't just send the raw data because that wouldn't be uh, super convenient for the user, you know. Um, Basically, the user has to do no work. Basically, it just fills in the form, uh, sends the data, sends the parameters of the observation, and uh, receives an email with uh, an image file. So that image file basically contains uh, all the plots, uh, all the data. And can anyone use it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we decided to create an online remote radio telescope, uh, which everyone could use uh, totally for free, no matter uh, where they live, uh, their educational background. Uh, uh, th that was the main reason we decided to create um, uh, an instrument uh, such as Pictor. And uh, actually, another reason was that... Uh, uh, 
radio astronomy, uh, particularly in Greece, is not very popular, at least compared to optical astronomy. And to be honest, uh, this does uh, make sense to a certain point because uh, astronomy at visible wavelengths uh, work, works pretty much like uh, our eyes do. Uh, you have a lens, you have an optical sensor, so it's very easy to understand uh, what you're observing and how everything works. And uh, on the other hand, uh, radio astronomy is a different thing because human uh, does not have a, a radio sensor to detect uh, radio signals, so it's difficult for someone to understand uh, how everything works at, uh, at a very first start point. Right. Okay. I mean, that sounds, that's, that sounds good. So anyone can use it. Um, and uh, are you looking for contributors to the project in terms of like uh, developing the code or anything like that? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, everything is open. So if anyone wants to uh, contribute, make a pull request, of course, absolutely. We are uh, actively um, looking for people who wish to help. Um, you don't have to contribute to, to use Picture, obviously. Um, but, you know, if you've got uh, programming knowledge or have some ideas you wish to implement, which has already been done, like uh, uh, certain people have uh, come on GitHub, said, okay, um, Pictor is cool, but I want to improve it. So uh, here's a code snippet you could apply to, for example, uh, send me some of the data in a row format so I can do further analysis or whatever. And uh, yeah, pretty much uh, you can contribute. Uh, you don't have to, of course, but uh, any any contribution is, of course, appreciated. Yeah, great. So, I mean, you do have an audience right now of people who are certainly have the skills to contribute, uh, people who are interested in free and open source software, people I know that are interested in, you mentioned Python, you also mentioned Raspberry Pis, that's another topic that comes up quite a lot in Hacker Public Radio. So, yeah, so folk listening, you know, you might want to take a look um, and see if there's something you can offer here. Um, and uh, so anyone can use it. Um, and I've I've been looking at your website. Your very website is actually very clean, nice introduction. It's not, um, you know, if you're maybe even somebody at school, uh, it's not going to scare you off. I don't think it's it's nice, nice gentle um, introduction uh, to the world of radio astronomy. And you've got a, a PDF uh, that you can download that introduces you as well, which, which I thought was really nice. I've not read the whole thing yet, yeah, but the beginning of it looks really good. Um, and so, do you have any hopes? Of particular people who would be using it? Are you wanting schools to use it or you just want general people of interest to start using it, maybe developing their own projects? Any thoughts on that front? Uh, yeah, thank, first of all, uh, thank you for your uh, kindly wor kind words. Um, yeah, uh, at the beginning, uh, it was mostly uh, friends and people around the world who just wanted to use a radio telescope. Uh, but now um, we have... Uh, a lot of pro let's say proposals from uh, from some uh, uh, schools or even universities uh, who who want to to use Victor uh, as an educational uh, project, um, and that uh, makes us really happy because um, uh, we uh, we have the feeling that we can uh, contribute uh, at some point uh, to radio astronomy education, and uh, that's uh, that's really awesome. It is. It is indeed. Yeah. So I mean, that. I. I mean, I. I, I can think of uh, quite a few uh, groups that I would know that would be interested in using it. Because one problem we have with astronomy, and I'm here in Scotland, and like like the whole of the UK, really, 
our weather is not great. In fact, we're, I've got about the worst weather uh, in the country. So we only get, what, maybe 30, 40, 50 nights a year where it's clear so we can use a clear, we can use normal telescopes, optical telescopes. So actually, we've got the ideal climate for radio astronomy because radio astronomy, it's not bothered about clouds, is it? You can see straight through clouds. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, uh, that's a very, very big advantage of uh, radio astronomy, uh, comparing to optical astronomy. And, uh, but even here, actually, optical astronomy, of course, it's, uh, it's something very, very popular. Uh, we also, uh, working on uh, optical astronomy as well. But, uh, yeah, in, uh, in some northern, uh, uh, countries uh, like Scotland or Belgium, for example, uh, things are uh, much more difficult for optical astronomy because uh, it's like ninety percent, ninety percent of the year uh, cloudy. So, yeah, uh, radio astronomy is the only way there. <laughs> yes, I know. It's uh, yeah. I, I, I confess I've worked in the theoretical side of things, like I mentioned masers, but I've I've never actually worked. Um, I actually used a radio telescope before, but I've got a feeling that's about to change once I get to know your telescope a little bit. So, now, I, I, I imagine that you've put a lot of work into this from the looks of it. Um, what was... Can you, were there any particular challenges along the way that, uh, that you had to deal with, that you found difficult to deal with? Hmm, yeah, uh, yeah, it's definitely been uh, a, a lot of work, like from the very beginning until, like, uh, even before and after uh, everything works. Uh, you know, you're still making improvements, so it's definitely uh, quite challenging. But you know, as I said, uh, users don't have to worry about this. <laughs> the code is ready, and uh, yeah, they can apply it to their telescopes and uh, everything. So some of the challenges. Um, I remember one time, like uh, at the early beginning, we had obtained this dish uh, seemingly for 2.4 gigahertz. I mean, at least that's what the um, the manufacturer claimed it to work at. Um, and basically, it didn't work. <laughs> we had uh, built the feed horn, we had measured everything, uh, we had pretty much tried everything. Um, and the problem was that this dish uh, had actually got, um, it was like a grid uh, sort of dish, like with, with holes. Um, and so the wavelength, the 21 centimeter wavelength was basically too short for the for these holes. So um, what we ended up doing is, well, like I, I remember being out one morning and I just said, okay, why not? Let, let me just try to turn the feed horn around to point directly to the zenith. And it actually worked like uh, like magic. I see the hydrogen line uh, barely, but um, yeah. So so what what we ended up doing is uh, to test if this was a problem with the dish. Just uh, take all the aluminum foil from the kitchen, just wrap it wrap it around the the dish uh, among the along the reflector. So um, that ended up being the the solution. Uh, obviously, we cannot have. Uh, a piece of aluminum foil running 24 <laughs> 7 uh, in the rain and things like that so we just took uh, like a little like a mesh and cut it around the dish so um so that, that's basically a sort of more permanent solution okay, uh, we do have a lot of uh, funny stories uh, about uh, picture issues uh, for example uh, in Fosdem 
there was a very very there is a very very interesting story. Uh, we've made a lot of talks uh, in Greece, all over Greece, and uh, no 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 problem uh, ever happened. Everything worked uh, very well, and uh, I'm talking about problems because uh, Pictor, uh, as we said, it's a remote uh, radio telescope. And, uh, of course, when we have a talk, uh, we, we make a presentation about how picture works. And, of course, we are doing, uh, an online observation, a remote observation. And, uh, in Greece, everything worked uh, like a charm. Everything went perfect. But, uh, when we were in, in, uh, in Fosdem, lots of, uh, miles away from, uh, from, uh, picture control, um, just before the the our presentations uh, we realized that we have a problem uh, connecting to the telescope because uh, of course uh, we always do a test uh, observation bef- before a talk to to be sure that everything works uh, perfectly and we had a problem uh, we we had no connection with the telescope and uh, uh, we didn't know what to do <laughs> uh, fortunately we we tried to contact uh, uh, at home greece and uh, tell to someone to just uh, restart the control panel uh, of the of the picture because something went um, went weird with the voltage and uh, at the at the very very last uh, minute, uh, we solved the problem and uh, everything went uh, fine. <laughs> oh, that's well. I'm glad to hear it. And as a shame, I missed the talk at Fosdem because I was um, one day I was I was stuck to the HPR table, uh, uh, and the other day I was just I was overwhelmed with talks I wanted to go to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really you mentioned in the uh, the. Well, uh, part of the reason I asked that question is because I really want people to realise that when you go into the website, I imagine it looks fairly, I mean, it does look fairly easy and straightforward, um, but it's good to appreciate how much work goes behind these things. It's not just a few buttons on a web page and there's a little uh, aerial stuck out a window somewhere. This is <laughs> quite a bit more work, <laughs> quite a bit more serious work than that. Uh, and I think that's the point I really want folk to, to understand. Now, you mentioned the, the 21 centimetre line now for listeners that don't know that is the wavelength that neutral normal uh, hydrogen emits at and that is the line that uh, we map out uh, our galaxy at that's how we know we are in a spiral galaxy and that's how it was first measured so you can actually examine our own galaxy at that 21 centimeter line yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, for our listeners who are not familiar uh, with radio astronomy, basically uh, neutral hydrogen atoms tend to emit, radi- emit radio waves under specific conditions. We won't get into the quantum physics, how this works, uh, but uh, for those interested, it's called the spin-flip 21 centimeter transition. So uh, basically, uh, these atoms uh, of hydrogen emit radio waves. Um, they emit radio waves at a very specific wavelength at 1420.45 megahertz and so um, you know our galaxy is of course very rich in uh, in, uh, in hydrogen so um, when you point a radio telescope to the galactic plane uh, you will almost certainly pick up uh, not almost you will certainly pick up uh, uh, some signal at 1420 megahertz and um, based on the Doppler shift that is uh, how fast the object is moving relative to you uh, whether it's approaching you or uh, uh, traveling away from you, you will get a a, a bit of a shift in uh, in the frequency. So uh, in the frequency domain on, on in the spectrum. So from these, like if you take many many measurements of the sky, uh, you end up with 
plenty of Doppler shift measurements. So um, to put it uh, quite simply, you can actually map the Milky Way uh, from with a radio telescope uh, and even uh, map out the um, like plot the rotation curve of the galaxy, which is um, uh, basically evidence for uh, the existence of uh, black matter. And that's interesting uh, with uh, with hydrogen line observations because uh, with uh, in optical astronomy, of course, you can see the the Milky Way, but uh, you cannot see behind the Milky Way, and uh, you you can understand uh, how a spiral galaxy can be uh, at least uh, without uh, seeing other galaxies. But uh, yes, in radio astronomy, you can see it, uh, thanks to Doppler shift. Uh, uh the the the, um, the 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 peaks from the from other uh, um galaxy arms and uh, do an uh, do a map on that yeah yeah it's like uh, looking at a frisbee from the side <laughs> yeah 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 that's that's very very clearly explained so um let's say um the, for a project, or maybe there's a sceptic out there who doesn't believe the shape of our galaxy is a spiral and it's rotating in the way they say. Uh, they don't believe in dark matter, you know. Um, could they <laughs> yeah. use could they use your telescope to do um, measurements and test uh, and produce results that would show this Doppler shift? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you observe, uh, even right now, probably, uh, you might see more than one uh, peak. You might see, for example, two or, or three uh, distinct uh, peak peaks. So the Doppler shift, like, because, okay, you see one peak uh, and then one to the right and then another one to the right, maybe. Um, this is because the different, the different spiral arms in the galaxy um, move at a different uh, velocity relative to to the sun or the earth. So uh, an observer can use picture telescope to, um, to, to, to observe this Doppler shift. And yeah, it's pretty much uh, evidence like beyond any doubt that uh, we do indeed live uh, in a spiral galaxy. Yes. And the, in the dark, the dark matter you mentioned, that's, that came about because we could, there's a galaxy we can see. And if we just look at that and then apply Newton's laws, then we would expect the galaxy to rotate in a certain way, but it doesn't. When we did, when we looked yeah. at the 21 centimeter line, we found that it rotates in a different way, at different speeds as you go out from the center of the galaxy, and 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 that is uh, that is uh, the the dark matter which you see. We can we can actually look for that with your telescope. That's excellent. Essentially, yeah, for uh, the dark matter, for uh, people who are not familiar with, um, okay, you have a dish, uh, how can this prove the dark matter? Um, basically, uh, uh, basically, you, um, you take some measurements of the sky, and uh, given the Doppler shifts, uh, you end up combining the data, uh, <clears throat> and... Uh, basically produce a rotation curve. So what a rotation curve is, is basically the velocity of the objects uh, orbiting a, a certain body. So for example, in the solar system, uh, planets move uh, in a certain uh, motion. Uh, and this follows Kepler's third law of motion, but when you try to apply this to galaxies, um, you get a completely different shape. And so the the main theory, basically, behind this uh, behind this uh, disagreement in the in the in the expected with the measured rotation curve, because uh, this is actually seen in pretty much every galaxy, uh, not only the Milky Way, 
this is basically evidence that there has to be more mass in our galaxy and so that's the the hypothesis or the theory that uh, dark matter is uh, is really there yeah yeah and so what else could you be observing is there anything for example that we could observe in our solar system with pictor uh, yeah, so you can uh, theoretically detect the sun. Um, it's it's a, it's a very bright uh, radio source in the sky. Uh, now, Pictor is mostly intended for hydrogen line work, so you know we could, of course, uh, turn it to to do uh, solar drift scans. Um, but you know, obviously, this would be because we have such a huge uh, user base. Uh, it would be a bit difficult to see to to sort of coordinate like um okay is everyone does everyone to want to see the sun because i think detecting a hydrogen clouds is a bit more interesting for people from uh, what we've seen uh so that's uh, the main like um uh, intended source uh basically galactic hydrogen like the, the hydrogen line basically well, uh, most uh, most uh, most users who who, who try to build uh, their first uh, telescope, uh, they pro they they of course will uh, do tests with the, the sun or the moon, and uh, actually when we started to uh, started hosting Pictor, uh, we re we re realized that uh, sun and uh, moon or even Jupiter are uh, are quite popular at observing that and um, hydrogen line uh, was a little bit uh, d difficult uh, than uh, than all the others so that's why we focus on uh, hydrogen line okay you yeah, know that make, that makes perfect sense i think that's an excellent way to uh, uh to draw people in to the subject actually so uh, going back to the sort of more technical aspects are there are there any things that are there any developments or improvements that you're working on or is everything just in a stable state and you're maintaining it that way just now yeah, yeah. so um okay so both of the um the web interface as well as the uh, processing software is uh, constantly uh, in, uh getting improved like uh, uh e even yesterday uh, last night i was doing uh, improvements on uh, on the software so uh, yeah, there's tons, tons of uh, improvements on uh, tons of updates, tons of uh, GitHub uh, comments uh, you will see. Um, and this is mostly on the software, so it allows the user to do uh, more uh, more specific data analysis. So, uh, for example, if there is radio frequency interference, which is a big problem in radio astronomy, um, you can sort of, uh, the software helps you sort of uh, cut it out a bit, uh, mitigate the RFI. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely lots of um, updates and improvements uh, uh, almost every day, uh, really. I think the the, the most difficult part on uh, setting a, a remote radio telescope is uh, itself the, the remote thing. Uh, as you find out how this works, uh, all the other stuff, um, it's not that difficult. I mean, uh, of course, we are going to do improvements and uh, even on the hardware, but uh, the remote uh, stuff, it's, uh, it's the most difficult thing because uh, for, from uh, as, I to as we told you, uh, in some situations, you cannot have uh, control, even if uh, the, the software uh, uh, about the, the RF are working great. Uh, if the if there there are issues with the remote stuff, uh, then everything can go 
like a mess. So uh, we always trying to see if there are still improvements on uh, the remote stuff, and uh, then came uh, then then come everything else. Yeah, I imagine that's actually quite. Yeah, I can see that's why that's the most difficult part to automate a telescope is. It's quite hard because there's lots of uh, there's lots of little details that you have to have to contend with. You mentioned interference. What sources of interference have you had to contend with? Yeah. Um, so okay. So there's basically two types of uh, radio frequency interference. Um, one is uh, one is spurious sort of interference, and the other is or unintended. And the other is intended interference. Uh, so what this means is that, for example, your cell phone, uh, when you're in a, in a call, uh, emits some uh, radio waves to communicate with the cell tower. And uh, of course, this can contaminate your uh, signal. Um, what we actually had to deal with, uh, and this is another interesting story, is, uh, is unwanted emissions. So for example, a Raspberry Pi uh, may emit radiation uh, due to the electronic circuits. So um this is completely unwanted and unintentional but uh, unfortunately it happens so uh, i remember for example when we because the first time I just tested with my laptop and saw the hydrogen line but then you know we wanted to automate everything uh, make it uh, available online things like that and so we placed the raspberry pi uh, near the disk and just all of a sudden like so much so much uh, noise and uh, interference uh, popped up so uh, the sim the simple solution is uh, just build a Faraday cage which is basically a metal box uh, which uh, which basically shields you from uh, radiation from uh, from interference so uh, you know the Raspberry Pi is in a metal uh, box so it can't really contaminate the telescope Actually, interference—it's a very, very harmful story. Uh, in uh, in RF, uh, we had uh, so, so much uh, uh, weird stuff uh, going on on the uh, on the spectrum. For example, I remember uh, a time when we have we had some uh, some tests, and uh, Apostolos uh, uh, telling me for uh, for for a couple of hours that uh, we have a very 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 weird weird uh, interference and it was very very difficult to understand uh, what was that and um, at, at the at the at the end of it we realized that it was the uh, the a, a, a computer it was the um, the power source of a computer <laughs> a power adapter and uh, it was making interference and it it was it's it's something that you cannot imagine at the uh, at the very first stage. Yes, I know. There's, there's a story here in well, not here, but in Wales, um, which is, if you don't know, next to England. Uh, if listeners are not familiar, um, in, in this little village, they had their broadband installed uh, some years ago, and every morning at seven a.m., the broadband in the village would go down. It would just stop working, like, and nobody knew why. This, it worked perfectly overnight and in the most uh, late in the evenings, but at 7am it would always go down. And it turned out that one villager had this old-fashioned cathode ray tube television from the 1970s, and he turned it on to watch the news at 7am on the dot every day. And that created so much radio interference that it destroyed the, 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 the microwave transmitter 
<laughs> to the village. Oh, the oh really? <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. So, but but for radio telescopes, this is serious stuff because you're doing. Well, yeah, it could ruin your, could ruin all your observations if somebody um, switched on a television like that, or you know, like a power pack, like you said, of a, of a, of a computer. So you mentioned that you've got software that can. So you mentioned the Faraday cage, which is a hardware solution, but you also said that, that you've got software solutions to removing interference and noise in the signal. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so generally, with uh, radio frequency interference, you you try to mitigate as much as possible. Um, one one segment of that is uh, hardware, as you mentioned, but uh, there's also software solutions. They don't always work, of course, but uh, they can definitely help. Um, one, like to get into the mathematics a little bit, uh, one way we we remove uh, narrowband radio frequency interference uh, at Victor is uh, with a median operation. So you apply a median to the spectra, and uh, suddenly the the peaks just disappear. So that's, for example, one way you can uh, get rid of radio frequency interference, and that's also good for picture because it's uh, uh, it's not um, a supervised uh, method of uh, removing interference. So I don't have to be on my computer waiting for every single observation to analyze. Um, that would be pretty difficult. <laughs> uh, but um, for manual, like if you have uh, more um, more annoying sort of interference that. Uh, it's it's contaminating it's contaminating your data um, like it it gets your data very contaminated. Uh, then you can do some uh, manual uh, or supervised uh, processing and data analysis to remove to get rid of uh, the interference in software. So you can do this by, um, for example, in a NumPy array for people familiar with Python, uh, you can just blank the channels uh, and uh, the interference basically disappears like that. It's not always very easy because, you know, sometimes interference is re really, really close to your uh, uh, signal, like the like the hydrogen line, for example, but uh, it can definitely help. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can uh, yeah, imagine there's a lot of interference to, to contend with. So I just, um, I haven't actually um, submitted a request to do an observation yet. I should have done. I keep look, looking at the page and then thinking, oh, <laughs> no, maybe I should read the instructions. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, I'm from the old, an old school of read the manual first. So <laughs> I want to go and read the manual. <laughs> Luckily, your manual is easy to read. So but I haven't yet used it, but I'm, I'm definitely going to. So I'm looking at the page right now, and it's a, a few fields. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah it, it, don't worry, we'll uh, get you through. It's, uh, it, it generally takes uh, one minute to submit an observation, not, not much thinking. Uh, uh, one thing we want to mention is that there is actually no request. It's just a submit. Uh, when someone uh, wants to make an observation, there is no request for us to say okay and stuff like that. Uh, it's just a submission and the, the telescope automatically does the observation for you. All right. So when I if I typed in a um, if I typed in a request, then you're not sitting there going, oh no, it's Andrew in Scotland making a stupid observation request <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's going to break. He's going to break the telescope. Ban him. You know that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. that you that you make sure that I can't do anything stupid. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, don't worry. There's no way to break it. <laughs> That's okay. why I, I I told you the the most of stuff is to to get secure with the remote uh, with everything that has to do with the remote uh, to to avoid any any problems due to uh, for example uh, uh, wrong controls and stuff like that so yeah there are no requesting uh, only only submissions 
Okay, right. Okay, that gives me a lot more confidence to go in. And, uh, <laughs> I was going to say try and break it, but <laughs> I would try. I'm sure. I'm sure I, will, I would fail if I did try. So I notice when it says, um, uh, so it says, would you like to receive your your raw data as a CSV file? Yes or no? Could Could you describe briefly what yeah, we yeah, do yeah. get back? What information uh, we would get back um, after submitting a request? Yeah, yeah. So um, whether you select yes or no on this on this field, you get the upload file. Um, usually, um, for most users, uh, including you, uh, upload file uh, an image file is sufficient. So you can just say no there. But if you wanted to, to get the raw data, so get like uh, because you usually just get an image file. If you want the raw data to sort of play around uh, a bit. Then you can of course select yes. So it's up to you. Uh, either way, you will get the data you need. So um, you can select no now. Um, anything you want. For the users that uh, visit the Pixel Telescope for the first time, we suggest to use the no option because uh, the raw data can confuse them. So I think uh, it's it's easier to to play on with a no option. Okay. Well. While you were talking, I submitted my first request. So I hope that wasn't too spammy of me, but I thought I would, since it was so easy, <laughs> I thought I would give it a go. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. And I really have to say to people, don't be scared off by this. I mean, literally, there's a few fields. You can take the default values. To, you know, it's extremely friendly. It's not scary at all. Uh, I would have no problem setting my nine-year-old daughter in front of it, you know, and, you know, in, in a few in a matter of minutes, I could explain to her uh, what she sh she should do. Explaining to her what the results mean, well, I'm not so sure I could I could do that quite so quickly. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it looks looks very, it looks very straightforward. I have to say, um, a great way in, into radio astronomy. So, um, so, so there, you submitted the observation. Uh, I don't know, was it like ten seconds, twenty? Uh, you you should receive it as soon as it finished. It was ten seconds. Yeah. Yeah, the, okay. yeah, it was the shortest option. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you should uh, receive uh, the observation uh, if you check your emails, probably. Yeah, there it is. Wow, I've got a nice little PNG file with a yeah. spectrum, <laughs> radio velocity. So, is that me? The ra is this radio velocity curve that I see in my email? That is of our galaxy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this little peak that you're uh, seeing is actually the uh, the Milky Way, it, it, it's a spiral, it corresponds to a spiral arm in our galaxy. Um, and you can see the radial velocity uh, above, uh, I've put a secondary axis there, so it automatically, um, you know, you see exactly at what velocity the gas, the, the, um, the hydrogen clouds are moving at uh, relative to, to you. Um, so uh, if you observe at some other time, you will see a different um, uh, a, a different sort of Doppler shift because you're uh, obviously pointing to a different uh, location in the galactic plane. Um, so you're sort of exposed to different spiral arms. But uh, yes, sometimes you even see two or three peaks there. So um, it's definitely uh, an interesting thing to try. Yeah, and I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've got three peaks actually. So I presume that maybe looking through three different hydrogen clouds, perhaps in different spiral arms in uh, the galaxy. Are, are you looking at uh, the left plot or the top center? The oh, I'm looking at the left one. Yeah, sorry, that's the, is that the wrong okay. one to look at? That's the signal to noise uh, ratio. Sorry. Yeah. So, so the left one is basically the the raw spectrum, um, and this is where digital signal processing and the software uh, comes into play because 
this is the raw data. Um, this is what the SDR receives. It's not what the actual sky looks like um, because, you know, th th these three humps, the big ones, the, the wide ones, are actually uh, uh, are caused by the SDR, basically. So what we do is, okay, we point to the sky when the Milky Way is not at the zenith, so at the horizon, so we don't get any contamination, and we calibrate the telescope. So we say, okay, this is what the sky looks like without hydrogen. And then we we basically subtract or divide the the spectra. So so it's basically the the row data divided by the calibration data. So if you look at the top center, it becomes more flat. Um, so basically, the the sort of SDR artifacts um, basically cancel out, and what you end up with is this uh, hydrogen peak. Uh, it should be at fourteen twenty point five megahertz. Uh, yes, around there. Yeah, and this is basically the hydrogen. This is the true sky signal. Um, okay. And something you might see on the right, a very narrow one. Uh, mm -hmm. This is this is probably radio frequency interference. Um, notice, uh, I mentioned the median earlier, the median operation. Uh, this is the red curve that you're seeing. So, uh, if you if you look on the right where this narrow peak exists, uh, which does contaminate the data, of course, but Applying median operation, basically, uh, if you look at the red curve alone, uh, there's no uh, interference at all. So that, that's basically the logic behind uh, median operations. And it's applied automatically. You don't have to worry about uh, what factor I will use on the, on the observation form, nothing like that. Want, what we want to make clear is that uh, for a, a beginner observer, uh, the the window that uh, uh, she should con concentrate is the center one, the calibrated spectrum. Uh, there, uh, it's the, there is the easiest uh, way to to see the the hydrogen line, um, the power versus, versus time, the waterfall, the or, or the average spectrum. Uh, are things that uh, not so important on all that? I mean, uh, are some uh, some data for uh, for users who who, ha who want to know more about uh, how all this stuff uh, is working on and how we calibrate the data about the the main part is the calibrated spectrum. Yes, yes, I see that. Yeah, my, I was I was indeed looking at the wrong one. So, um, yeah, so I do see one peak, and I see that uh, at, at fourteen twenty megahertz, and then a much larger spiky one at slightly higher frequency. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's that, that is excellent. So, from the listeners, um, I'll put this image that I'm looking that we're discussing now in the show notes, so you can actually see um, what's being discussed. Um, and of course you can run your own observations, but they'll be different. But I will put this specific observation that I just got. One other question, the, the bottom time series graph uh, of relative power, it, the, it shows a decreasing trend over the 10 seconds of observation. Why, why, is, why is it decreasing, do you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, question. That's, that's a good observation of you because um, it's actually not that clear compared to other observations. Uh, but it's it's not a sky effect. It's um, it's completely uh, an SDR thing. So if you get, for example, a different SDR, uh, it might be more flat from the beginning. Um, it has to do with uh, we're getting into more technical stuff here, but it has to do with uh, sort of the temperature variation as soon as the observation begins. Uh, if you observe for like uh, uh, 
for like 10 hours of course you won't see a constant decrease in power after like 30 minutes or so it will start to flatten out um so it's completely an nsdr uh, effect okay and you mentioned the sdr before what does sdr stand for uh sdr is software defined radio so uh it's basically a, a, a spectrometer like uh, a device that you feed your uh, rf signal in uh, like you do with for example a tv decoder um so nsdr is basically a very very versatile um and moddable sort of device that you plug into your computer. It's it's literally an, a USB stick, uh, usually most of the times. And uh, with the GNU Radio, which is an open source uh, framework for uh, radio work, uh, you can sort of program what you want your SDR to do. Like, um, okay, you acquire some data, um, and then you pass the data, the raw data, to a digital signal processing pipeline. So this is basically what an SDR does. It's it's basically a receiver that lets you do uh, pretty much anything. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, I'd never come across that before. Uh, yeah. So that's um, obviously because my training in radio astronomy was theoretical and <laughs> before USB was invented. So that's why I'm not heard of it. <laughs> I'm too old. Okay. That's that's all. That's all great. So, um, uh, I think we're. Sort of getting towards the end of the episode, is there anything else that you'd like to mention that we've not managed to cover so far? Um, yeah, well, I don't know if we mentioned this. Uh, we did uh, send you, like, uh, we mentioned it in uh, the email, but for people who want to see, okay, uh, you have this telescope uh, with, uh, seven, with over 3,000 observations on the archive from uh, over 700 uh, users from all around the world. Um, one, one thing we, we actually managed to do quite recently is, uh, obtain the very first radio image in Greece. Uh, we obviously, we obviously mentioned how, um, uh, you know, how, how radio astronomy is not that popular in Greece, but, uh, you know, we're happy to basically, uh, help with a little bit of contribution. So what we've done is, uh, uh, like to to basically advance radio astronomy in Greece, what we've done is uh, actually um, we've picked our telescope. We've actually obtained the very first radio image uh, of, of the sky. So it's a, a Northern Sky Hydrogen Line Survey uh, that uh, user can find. Uh, that listeners can find on uh, on the GitHub as well. Okay. Yes, and so you, that's, you uh, did one send me. Apologies, you did send me that uh, email. I forgot to mention it. That was right at the beginning, and I'll put that image, your first image, um, from Greece. I'll make sure that goes in the show notes too for our listeners to look at. Excellent. Um, so, I said one last question. How did you choose the name Pictor? Where did that come from? Uh, so, so on the southern uh, sky, uh, there's uh, there's a radio galaxy called Pictor A. So um, that's basically where it, uh, where it uh, originated from. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay, I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, didn't make the connection there. But yeah, okay, I have, I have vaguely heard of that. that yeah, galaxy. it's not a very popular galaxy, but uh, yeah. Actually, we wanted to have a, a unique name because uh, the most astronomy project uh, uh, is uh, has ha- have very very similar names like constellations uh, or something like a cosmos or astro and stuff like that and uh, we want to make something that uh, that is a little bit unique so that's why we chose picture 
Yeah, no, it's a good name. Nice and short, memorable, easy to spell. <laughs> yeah, it's got all that. <laughs> and it's something to do with radio astronomy as well. So that's uh, yeah, exactly, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Well, um, I'd like to thank you both very much for taking the time uh, to talk to me. I've got a feeling that we, you know, that uh, I'm going to go off and, and play with this. And I don't know. I, I think folk will find this interesting. And as I say, as we said earlier, if you've got some skills that are relevant and an interest go in contribute to this project it sounds like an excellent project and I, I do congratulate both of you on your work on it um yeah so maybe we'll do a follow-up show um if there's further questions or there's more that we'd like to discuss um but yeah thank you very much uh, both for your time yeah that will be very very interesting so yeah thank you for so so much uh, andrew yeah it's uh, our pleasure uh if uh listeners want to do a second part uh absolutely why not yeah great okay thank you thank you okay and thanks to our listeners for tuning in and of course if you have an interest in astronomy radio astronomy or anything like that or you do some interesting uh, observations with the pictor telescope please do record an hpr show about it and let us all know thanks very much for listening Bye bye You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.